is the number one commodity in the world that you can't get back once it's gone. Time. So I will keep this brief. I'm Muthita Panmuk, a time efficiency expert and a business operations strategist, who is as known as the Time Queen. Welcome to my Get Unstuck Radio. Running a business can be very overwhelming at times, especially in the first few years when you are required to wear the hats and do other things. You started your company because you had a vision that almost every business owner has when they begin. You wanted freedom, true freedom. So you are in the right place to help you build and grow your business that support your lifestyle. Not the other way around. Without further ado, let's get unstuck. Hi, get unstuck nation. So today I have something different from others because you know that usually we do service based, but today we also bring you the new expert that have the product success. So I would like to introduce um, David Fradin. Um, he is um, Spice Catalyst. He's from Spice Catalyst. He's the owner and founder there. So he has over 50 years of experience in product success, including HP and Apple. You guys, I'm so excited. So please welcome David with me here. Thank you for joining Get Unstuck Radio today. Well, thanks for uh, putting up with me. <laughs> David, before we get into how to do product success or what are the keys, can you please tell us a little bit why you become an entrepreneur? Um, I think I uh, left the corporate world in the late, or excuse me, the early uh, 1990s uh, okay. because I was just feeling that corporations or the people in the corporations were more interested in their personal self-advancement to the detriment of their team members, to the other employees, and less concerned about customer satisfaction. Mm -hmm. uh, so going out on my own and being a consultant uh, and training people how to do product success and product management. Uh, if I don't like a client, I can fire the client instead of getting fired myself. Great. I really agree on that. <laughs> that is something that I do often as well. <laughs> but that's changed a lot in the last, say, five to 10 years with the increasing focus uh, almost 100% focus of many major corporations on customer satisfaction, uh, led by such companies as uh, Apple and Amazon and, and others. Uh, if you buy something from Amazon and you don't like it, you, you uh, contact them through their website and you say, I don't like this, and they just give you your money back uh, and make it very, very easy for you to send the product back to them. Um, and that's now invaded many, many companies and many, many different industries, the focus on uh, product success and, and on customer uh, satisfaction. So do you think customer satisfaction, I mean, customer fulfillment or customer delivery, whatever they're going to call it, there are too many names, um, involved with the company culture? Oh, very much so. Uh, and the culture is a, an amalgamation of the values of the company uh, and the vision of the company. And then as the pursuit of that vision, that mission statement and the values uh, and the, uh, the following of the values of the company over a period of time that creates the company culture. Mm -hmm. uh, 
example, one of the values of Apple was empathy for the customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the values of HP under the HP way is the the is customer satisfaction. The customer comes first, so that pervades the overall thinking and decision making uh, of everybody in the company, and that eventually creates the culture. Yeah, because I work with like um, from solopreneur to become having a team or. They are um, still startup stage. I try to tell them that that you have to determine what is the end goal of this particular product or service that you are working on. Because if not, you wouldn't know how to serve them exactly what they want. Apart from you know who they are, um, because at the end of the day, everyone wants to streamline and get themselves out of here and then starting the new project, right? To like having the next product or next service line or something like that, and. Once the longer you stay in this hamster wheel, the longer you couldn't do that. You couldn't work on the business instead. So that's a very good point. Like I think the starter or the startup for entrepreneur not really think that long term game. They might want cash flow at the beginning, but actually, if they really want this company to work, they have to think long term. What What is your opinion on that? Well, the very first thing an entrepreneur should do. Uh, is adopt a set of values uh, for their business, uh, and I've got some sample values up on uh, my website, uh, spicecatalyst.com. I've got Apple's values there. I've got the old HP way there, and I have my own values, which is an enhancement of a uh, combination of those those two sets of values. Uh, that should be the very first thing that they do. Then the second thing they should think about is what's the vision of the company? What's the mission of the company? What are they trying to accomplish? Now that does not have to be a specific product. In fact, the vision statement for HP when they were started in 1938 was uh, very specifically: we will not at this time make a decision as to what product we are going to build. What we will do is offer a technical contribution uh, to the economy. So the result of that was the uh, development and the building of an audio oscillator, and their first sale was eight of these units to uh, Walt Disney uh, to do the music for Fantasia, and that's how they eventually evolved into being an instrumentation company that built instruments that other engineers would use to test and monitor uh, uh, other things. Uh, and uh, when a professor at Stanford used to ask his MBA students, "What did you think of that that vision statement of we will make a technical contribution, but we won't decide what the product is?" Uh, these MBA students rated that on a scale of one to ten, typically at a scale of three. They thought it was a lousy vision statement. Yet that vision statement for uh, HP guided them for over 50 years. Until they uh, got rid of that vision statement and blew up their um, uh, values, their HP way, in the late 90s. But for that 50 years, they uh, or more than 50 years, they um, increased sales 20% a year every year uh, for that entire period from 1938 to 1998. So um, uh, the important, that's why I stress values and a vision statement, and and values also pertains to an individual. Uh, When I was writing my books, uh, Building and Sailing Great Products, and the second uh, little volume that Wiley published uh, last year called uh, Successful Product Design and Management Toolkit, 
Uh, both of these are available on Amazon. Uh, I uh, researched the first 500 companies in the Fortune 500. And I was very familiar with many of those companies personally because uh, when I was in college, I had started a national student organization first in support of the development of an American supersonic transport, and then later uh, for uh, support of science and technology. Because in the early 70s, the general uh, thinking or feeling in the United States is that the environmental crisis was caused by technology. But I, as a engineering student at University of Michigan, knew that technologies defined as nothing more than the, or the organization of knowledge for practical purposes. Uh, the technology itself or the science itself is not responsible for the problems. Uh, the problems are caused by uh, the people that uh, implement or fail to implement the technology. So I knew all these companies and I uh, went through and developed a list. Which of these companies have values and which of these companies did not? And which of these companies were still in business uh, some 50 years later and which of them were not? turned out that um, about 300 plus of them had gone out of business and almost without exception, those companies had no values. Uh, those companies that did, did have values continued to thrive and persist uh, around the time that I did that research uh, around 2014, 2015. And I said, but I wonder if this issue of values pertains to me personally. So I made a list of uh, the 25 organizations that I've been associated with through my career. Uh, I started the Flying Club at the University of Michigan and it's still going today. They've trained over 5,000 pilots that fly airlines now, well, throughout the world. And, uh, and then this uh, student organization in support of science and technology that I was one of the first environmental mediators uh, in the world and helped resolve some major environmental disputes before I joined HP and, and Apple recruited me, then a number of organizations after that. Um, and I made a list, did these organizations have values? Did they follow the values? And did those values map into my values? And 20 of them, those three conditions did not exist. And without exception, those 20 organizations were places that either I got fired from and the next day I felt better, or I quit and the next day I felt better. But the five organizations like HP and Apple and others that had values and followed those values, I was very, very happy with. Uh, so I, I, I mentioned this to a friend of mine. Uh, you can see in the background, that's the view from my Maui uh, uh, Wailea condo, which I rent out when I'm not there. Uh, it's about hundred feet from the, from the ocean. My former property manager moved to Northern California. And I told him, when you pick your next job, be sure you pick your job that matches into your values. And he called me up one day and he says, he went out in an interview and he talked for four hours to the hiring managers at a company about values. They hired him and this was a few weeks later and he was very, very happy there. Now you contrast that with a company like Volkswagen who a few years ago had a very wonderful set of values including caring for the environment and caring for their customer but some of their senior level managers directed and hid the uh, emissions scandal, where when you plug their diesel cars in uh, to the uh, emission checking devices, uh, like at the state uh, smog check uh, places, the software code would execute and record false numbers. That cost, uh, that scandal cost several years 
uh, to uncover and uh, several of their senior executives got into a whole lot of trouble over it. And they've pledged to build out a $10 billion electric uh, charging station network in the United States. And I know another one in Europe and plus the hit on their brand, the promise of that company actually caring for the environment. I would guesstimate it costs them about $30 billion for failing to follow the values that they said that they had. So that's why I say values in the for, first formation of, our, of an organization of any kind of business, whether you're developing and uh, delivering products or services is so critical. Mm, that makes so much sense. But in terms of small business then, how can they apply this? Like small Same business, way. in terms of like small businesses, SME, small medium businesses, or family businesses, how can they apply these and make their business more sustainable or they have to scale at the point to become enterprise or corporate therefore they could have like a better legs in that sense what are the difference here no difference uh, the same set of values would apply if it's a family business who cares about their employees or they could be a big enterprise that could also care about their employees and their customers and honesty and good management, uh, those kinds of things, which are typical of the HP way uh, and Apple values. Uh, another example of how horrible things can get if you don't have values is just this nightmare we just got over with uh, Trump as president, uh, a person that has no values whatsoever. The only thing he's into is whatever is good for him. And uh, if people uh, leave his employee, he attacks them. He doesn't care about them. All he does is care about himself. Uh, a person that has no values that if uh, people from Nicaragua or uh, Guatemala, uh, the uh, Golden Triangle are trying to escape a couple of hurricanes, corruption, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, cocaine cartel and, and uh, uh, criminals uh, to get a better life for their children, and they come across the U.S. border and under international law, if I set foot in Thailand, for example, and said, I want asylum, Thailand has to grant me that asylum. Same thing's true in the United States. But he ha has no values and didn't follow that. So he locked up little babies in cages uh, for extended periods of time. So that's another example of why values are so important. And what I pick uh, politicians that I vote for, I ask that same question. Do they have values? Do they follow those values? I agree though. I mean, in terms of like bringing the right people that resonate with myself, like that is not selfish, but it's just the way that I feel like I can trust that person because they share something the same as me. Exactly. And when you go into a room with them or now when you go into a Zoom with them and uh, you are trying to make a decision about something, you know that everybody involved in making that decision uh, were coming from the same place, from the same set of values. Mm, yeah. I always have new decision making next to the water. Like either I go for the ocean trip or the sea beach. Um, yeah, I always get new inspiration and I tend to stay next to the water more because of that. I have peace with me and I can make decision easier. Yeah, I agree on the same place, but not like exactly the same spot, but similar environment. I think that's also involved like a yin yang thing or something. Like 
these nature laws are very um integrate let's say in some way to explain but i think it makes sense somehow not really a true believer but like so far i mean my life is just like half of your experience so i'm very interested to learn more i mean you already share with me the golden information of like people at my age wouldn't know and we wouldn't if those like like me not yet able to read the history and not familiar with it i couldn't compare that like back for 50 years that's gonna be crazy like from your experience and amount of research that you have done so i think i'm gonna buy your book it's very interesting <laughs> so <laughs> anyway let's get into what you really specialize in product success what so i think um everyone knows here that i don't like product however i also just launched my clothing line um with my mom and it's a headache for me as well as a service person for the past three years four years that i always say that i will not stay in the product industry because i don't want to do inventory <laughs> it's me <laughs> so i I prefer to get headache with operating system back in for the e-commerce rather than have my own. But now I have my own, I understand the um, chaos and also the <laughs> anxious that happening that involve with other factors and stakeholder that like this one have to wait this time and I have to manage the whole timeline. When I could launch, then I could release the product. and. Man, I can tell you, I don't really like it. I, I still stick to my service, but because my mom encouraged me, so I just do it with her. What exactly the difference between service management and product management in your opinion? Difference between product management and what was uh, service. the first thing? Service. Service based company. Service management? Service. Not, not understand. S E R V I C E. Oh, service. Um, a product is a, is something that's tangible that you can touch. A service is also a product. It just happens to be intangible. You can't touch it. And the basic principles of product success apply to both. This episode is sponsored by Mutita Clothing, like what I'm wearing right here. So if you are a pretty sized lady who are looking for high quality apparel as well as a neat cutting and premium pattern, check it out at mutitaclothing.com so that you can be simply elegant by no time. Let's get back to the episode. Mm, I agree again. <laughs> it's have their own like the way of thinking. Do you think because you have engineering background help you to re-engineer this thing and able to get it more structuralized? Yeah, I, uh, the main thing that an engineer learns in engineering school is how to solve problems uh, through the scientific method of identifying the problem, analyzing the problem, uh, getting agreement as to what the problem is, identifying solutions, testing those solutions against those problems, and then picking the best solution mm. as opposed to jumping in and doing something. Uh, and that's pretty much the way uh, product development should occur. Uh, and that's why I came up with the, uh, uh, the five or six keys to product success, which maps into uh, the word of my company's name, Spice. Uh, oh. And that's exactly mnemonic, mnemonic. 
Uh, the S stands for strategy, and there it's a product market strategy of which there are 32 major and minor elements. Uh, values is one of the first ones of your product uh, market strategy. Uh, this is the strategy for the product in the particular market that you've selected. Uh, then you go out and figure out what is the problems that your product or service is trying to resolve. And I call that understanding what it is that your customer wants to do. Because you can't go out, as Steve Jobs uh, said, and ask people, what do they need? Because they don't need, know what they need. Uh, a story is that Henry Ford, the inventor of the mass uh, manufactured automobile in the United States, allegedly went out and asked people, uh, in my hometown where I grew up, Detroit, uh, hi, uh, would you like to have a car? And people said, no, I just bought a faster horse. But if he had observed what it is that people were doing, whipping their horse to go from point A to point B faster, or to move their little uh, horse-drawn cart faster so they can get their goods to market faster, he would have known that people were looking for a solution to that problem. And they had a need for a car or an automobile, but they just didn't know what to call it at that time. So that's the second major element of the product market strategy. Uh, the third one is understanding the personas of who you're gonna be selling the product or service to and quantifying that and qualifying that and describing it. And then you do your market research and your competitive research, which enables you to do one of the most important things that a product manager does, and that's called product positioning. And that's a place in the mind of the prospective customer. Um, and that's what people think of when you first uh, hear that uh, particular company or that particular product. It's the brand, it's the promise. Then with all that in hand, you can put together uh, what is the features uh, that you need to develop? Uh, what are the advantages? What's the distribution strategy, the sales strategy? What is the uh, pricing strategy? What's the support and service strategy? And then, <coughs> excuse me, then you turn that over uh, to development, and then all of those are is a foundation for the use of uh, marketing. Going through all that is the P in Spice, having a repeatable process with the I in Spice, which is the information you need to make decisions along the way. The C in Spice is understanding the customer, going back to understanding what it is the customer wants to do. And the E in SPICE is the employees, providing the training for the employees to be able to have uh, product success. In my Wiley book, I've identified 132 competencies or skill sets an organization and or an individual must have in order to have a successful product or service. Most organizations, no matter how small or how large, lack a number of those key competencies and as in that case, they should recognize that and reach out to uh, consultants and other experts uh, in that particular area uh, to help them out. One other thing that I noticed um, from the small business side, they not really know what they don't know. That's correct. And that's when they make major mistakes, usually fatal ones. Uh, for example, I one of my mistakes I give it credit for inventing, inventing advertising on a cell phone in 2003. And uh, since I own this condo in Maui since 2001, one of the great pastimes there 
ride up to the top of Haleakala, the, the volcano that created uh, the island. Uh, and then you get on a bike and you coast down from Haleakala to uh, Paella or Kahului uh, and have uh, a champagne brunch. <coughs> So I had a little video game developed for the cell phone called Maori Mountain Biking. And when you <clears throat> crash or fall off of uh, Haleakala, an ad would come up and say, um, this crash was brought to you by uh, Zeal uh, Running Shoes or Zeal Optics. Um, and then I tried to raise money from venture capitalists or seed investors and I talked to over 200 of them and I couldn't find a single one of these prospective investors that understood advertising cell phones and games. So I couldn't raise any capital. Uh, today, it's over a $15 billion a year industry or more. Um, and because I had not found uh, 15 unmet needs, things that people wanted to do on a cell phone at that particular time, other than making phone calls, the market was not there yet. So the lesson I learned is I was way ahead of my market. Mm -hmm. The other lesson is this little uh, Maui mountain biking game I could get distributed because it ran on a Nokia phone in Europe. And I had over 10,000 installations, but my sales force was only in the United States. And so I had a disconnect in my distribution. My sales force and advertisers in the US could care less about advertising in Europe but that's where I had my ad inventory, my distribution. If I had known that ahead of time, I could have avoided that mistake and Maui Games would still be in business today. Mm, wow. But how can and you that, know before you make those decisions? Write your, uh, your, your product market strategy, which will take uh, at least three to six people months of effort uh, and probably at least one to three uh, per person months of uh, uh, personal effort, three to six calendar months because of the time it takes uh, to put it together. Uh, what most people do in most organizations is they try to skip as much of that as possible uh, along the idea of some venture capitalists and angel investors have talked about uh, called a ready fire aim rather than ready aim fire. Uh, and they also talk about it in terms of fail fast um, which is not good if you haven't figured out all the elements I mentioned earlier in terms of your uh, product market strategy. I have to apologize for my cats. Uh, they're feral cats that I adopted, and they're 18 and a half years old. And that one, 18 and a half, yeah, and that one, his name is Jack. When, when you hold him and purr, and he's beginning to hallucinate uh, around this time at night and early in the morning. And, and we're giving him some pain pills to calm him down, but that doesn't seem to be working. Uh, so he's got, a, he's got an appointment at the vet tomorrow. Oh, 18. Wow. That's already, oh, that's already old cat. She's, he or she, sorry? It's a he, and he, uh, he has a sister. Also, he can do that. That's because oh. he had dental surgery tomorrow. Oh, that's going to be a big one. <laughs> I binge watching Bobby Wet this day because I have a new dog as well. She's just five months old. So yeah, I, I love animals. Anyway, no worries. Um, we live in 
um, work from home this time. So I think everyone understand. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there are two types of consultants or coaches this day that like in the market. One of them would be those um, implementer, I would call them. They would prefer you to take action rather than strategize first. Like you have to have something as a minimal requirement product or some ideas that you want to do and then pre-sell it before you make it. That is one type. Another type would be those who suggest you to have foundation clear, spend more time on it, and then really able to um, make this thing more sustainable. So I still couldn't find the middle of these two. Like it's a bit too extreme for me, in my opinion. That's what I have seen in the past four years. But I trying to find the middle of these two, like along the way that you can get cash flow on something. Because I believe small business having that issue or, or startup, they're having this issue that, for example, software development costs a lot of money. If they not um, do some the funding or anything, um, it's going to be in their pocket and at the end it could get into their bones um so yeah what would you suggest i think from your side the spy method would be the second types of consultant that like get things clear before you do it get it right and in enter the market with the right feed am i correct absolutely i'll give you a couple of examples of that you know hp has as part of their culture uh called management by wandering around and also the next bench syndrome. That is, if they develop an instrument, they would take it to the next bench, which is usually another test engineer, to get feedback immediately from the prospective customer on that product. They make um, like an agile form of incremental improvements. And that's another one of the reasons, in addition to the values, that HP grew 20% a year every year for 50 years. Uh, a, a bad example of that is a company called uh, Digital FX, which is no longer in business. And uh, Kleiner Perkins, who was one of the uh, premier venture capital firms uh, in the world, uh, uh, placed me there as the second product manager. And they thought this desktop product that they had developed called uh, um, Video FX, which plugged into a uh, Macintosh computer, is just the thing that all uh, Mac users would want in order to produce videos. Well, they then spent $30 million with Hitachi in uh, Korea to build these uh, uh, video effects products, which was a video switcher, a character generator, and a machine controller all in one box. And went out and tried to sell it, and they thought it was gonna sell in the same volumes as video cards were selling on PCs then, to the tune of thousands to tens of thousands per month. Mm. It turned out they're only selling about 10 or 20 a month and they had no idea who their customer was. So as their second product manager, I went out and I talked with 20 of our best customers and found out that they were not Macintosh users. In fact, most of them could, before they got their video effects product, couldn't find the on switch for, for Macintosh. They were videographers that most of them had four-year degrees in videography and video production. And their value proposition, which the company knew nothing about, was that the video effects product reduced the cost of a post-production suite from $150,000 to about $75,000. Mm. That, was, that was the product market fit, but the 
people in the company and the people on the board and the funders, the venture capital uh, funders, had no idea that that's what the, uh, uh, the special sauce would be. So for someone to go out and say, oh, you just have to decide what your special sauce is. All you have to do is the minimum viable product. All you have to do is uh, um, uh, do product market fit. All you have to do is ready, fire, aim. Well, you're not going to figure that out that way. You have to go out and listen to your customer, observe what your customer does, like the HP next bench syndrome, and make adjustments as you learn more about what's going on uh, in the marketplace. Another thing, that's that's a very good point. I mean, everyone get a stagnation. I think this interview, you have to take notes because you're not going to be able to listen to this thing every single day. So keep watching this, rewatch it, and take note. That would be my recommend. Um, another, sorry? Or you can buy my books. Oh, yeah, that also. Check your website. Website is in the description. <laughs> um. Another thing that I noticed though, this is something that dear to my heart, like very dear to my heart, why um, the executive board or like business owner in general, either small or big, um, I believe the, the bigger the enterprise, they're able to streamline and keep doing what works in that business. Like they have that strong call already. But HP, for example, they have one of the printer that I really like, the three-in-one scan uh printing and copy they're not selling it anymore and i don't know why it really works well and it's really cheap like 20 pounds at that time i was in the uk <coughs> excuse me <coughs> excuse me so um yeah i always <coughs> oh sorry they hired a uh, lady that was a good salesperson from um old AT&T before uh, the government broke it up. Uh, her name was Carly Farina. And all she cared about was uh, her own self-aggrandizement and the price, the value, the price of the stocks so, so that she could get rich. And she blew up the HP values around 1998. And Dave Packard's son, who was on the board, resigned from the board and ran a full-page ad in the Wall Street Journal saying she's going to destroy this company. After her, they hired a guy that was involved in a scandal of a major merger and acquisition from a, of a company out of uh, the Netherlands or something like that. And after that, they are just before that, they hired a guy from uh, uh, cash, uh, uh, National Cash Register, who was a financial guy. Um, and he got involved in an uh, um, inappropriate affair scandal, resigned. And then they hired Meg Whitman, who was from uh, uh, Goldman Sachs, also a finance person, uh, who uh, had run eBay for a little while, which was a business to consumer kind of business. And HP was a business to business and also a business to consumer company. And smart enough that when they did the consumer products like that uh, printer that you just mentioned, they did it in a separate autonomous division uh, which had full authority over the product line, had its own engineering, had its own development, had its own marketing, had its own product management, had its own manufacturing, had its own uh, human resources, had its own finance. And those divisions of HP, uh, by decree, again, part of the HP uh, culture, uh, would never get over 500 people so they could always stay close to the customer. 
So HP recognized early on as they went from a B2B instrumentation company and Carly spun off that uh, into a separate company whose name escapes me right now, which is really the old uh, HP, uh, uh, Agilent. Uh, and then uh, under, under Meg Whitman, she spun off the HP consumer business, including PCs and printers, and kept the enterprise business, which is consulting and uh, services, uh, sort of competing directly with IBM uh, services and uh, uh, Tata services out of India and uh, Infosys out of India and Cognizant and those kinds of things. Um, so it's different. It's a different company now in terms of the markets that it goes after, and they probably felt that uh, the printer business they were not going to be able to compete with the likes of uh, Canon and and perhaps some uh, Chinese and Korean companies that excel in terms of their product market strategy to be the low cost manufacturer. Uh, and also, it appears that HP did not uh, have much interest in developing the external outsourcing manufacturing model that Apple adopted by using Foxconn and other outsourced manufacturing uh, that could focus on manufacturing, manufacturing technologies, uh, supplying a supply chain, while Apple focused on the products themselves and our customer service and support and, uh, and managing the, uh, the supply chain and the distribution chain. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I think Hmm. That is depends on the financial goal, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, because at the end of the day, I mean, money still, they have to feed a lot of people, right? They are the big enterprise. And those numbers have to be hit at least or exceed. So I so think... The, yeah. Here's the more that's going on. Is it um, shareholder value? customer satisfaction or taking care of your employees. Mm. Uh, I believe like Apple does, if they take care of their employees and take care of their customers, the profits will just follow. Mm. And that's, that has happened. That's why the company is the most valuable company in the world. Uh, HP followed the same kind of thing uh, for those same 50 years. And that was another uh, part of the, uh, uh, special sauce as to why HP grew 20% a year every year for 50 years. They didn't worry about profits. They felt that their obligation was to their community, to their employees, uh, and to their customers. And the last place would be Wall Street. Uh, and that's been typified over, say, the last five years in terms of the value of Apple stock uh, because it was in a discrete products business, the iPhone, the iPad, the Macintosh, and so forth. Wall Street gave it a price earnings rating uh, ratio of about 12 or 16 to one. But Amazon, especially after they came out with Amazon Prime, they have hundreds of millions of people like me paying $129 a year, whether I use it or not. Uh, Amazon turned themselves into a big subscription services business. Google services business, Facebook services business. Uh, and some of those companies have 40, 50, 60 to one price earning ratios because the financial geniuses of Wall Street uh, feel that that's a more valuable uh, business to be in. Mm -hmm. And it's Apple started doing its services of iCloud, Apple Music, 
uh, Apple Gay Arcade, Apple News, and so forth, and then started bundling them in the last year so you can get more of them for the cost of the individual components. Their services revenues have been exploding. And as a result of that, the Apple stock uh, price has been going up and up and up. Mm. And under full disclosure, I own stock in Apple, uh, Amazon, and 3M company. And I picked those stocks uh, because uh, they have values and uh, they follow those values. Yeah. So it actually depends on the market growth as well. Uh, to some extent, the market should be growing, uh, but there are examples of companies in um, established markets where it's not growing and uh, a company can jump in with the right strategy and dominate and, uh, and earn a, a good return on investment. Mm. I'll, I'll give you an example. I've also invested in Vita, uh, VinMilk, which is a, a, a dairy distri uh, producer distributor in Vietnam. Uh, and they've been going gangbusters over the last year, high quality products, predominantly for the Vietnamese market, but they also distribute worldwide. Uh, and they care about their customers, they care about their farmers, they care about uh, everything, and uh, the stock market takes care of the rest for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this always like run along the curve of like innovation. Um, what is that one? I forgot the name already. The, the innovation curve, the uh, yeah. curve of adoption. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, uh, uh, Jeffrey Moore's uh, chasing, uh, uh, crossing the chasm uh, model. So in Vin Milk's example, they jumped in since milk has been adopted, all of the laggards and the, the mass market is there and they've come in with the better product. And I think also with better distribution. And that's why they're beginning to dominate that uh, market. Uh, Apple doesn't jump right in with every first new product. It took them, what, uh, 10 to 15 years before they got into the phone business. Uh, and they didn't jump in until you, until you had the technical capability of having the internet in your pocket. And that's the way Steve described uh, the first iPhone. Uh, the tablet business was around for a number of years, not going anywhere. But he came up with the notion of being able to consume media any place and anywhere with this little tablet, uh, building off of the tablet's uh, introduction to the world in the science fiction uh, television series of the 60s uh, called Star Trek. Yeah, right timing is very important. Okay, um, thank you for the knowledge bomb today. But David, in case anyone, um, if they're listening to here, um, if they want to follow you or even work with you, where can they reach out to you then? Uh, just go to my website at uh, spicecatalyst.com. Feel free to send me an email. My email address is there, dave at spicecatalyst.com. Uh, follow me at, at LinkedIn. Just go to uh, LinkedIn and uh, look up uh, David Freyden, and uh, you can find my uh, LinkedIn uh URL there, or you can get that off my website, uh, spicecatalyst.com. Thank you so much for joining Get Unstuck Radio today. I hope this episode inspires you to get unstuck wherever you are in your journey so that you can have your business that supports your lifestyle. Get a show note at helpyougetunstuck.com today. Start implementing what you have learned. The results of your consistent effort and improvement are worth it. Because 
you deserve the freedom to enjoy your life. Speak to you next time and don't forget to get unstuck.